So uh, we've all heard that life is a journey, right? Um, a road to be traveled. It's one of the most common metaphors for our lives, and for good reason. It's completely true. We are pilgrims. We are travelers, wayfarers, sojourners through this life. Uh, it's true for all of us. Some of us, though, approach this journey, this pilgrimage, in different ways, okay? So there is a group of you. I don't know exactly who you are. I have my guesses. But they, are very, they have a very targeted and specific plan for their life, all right? Uh, you are the ones who are committed to planning out as far as you can see down this road. You're the people who have a five-year and a 10-year and a 20-year vision. Uh, you have a monthly review process for your goals, maybe. Uh, you are the folks that know what you knew what you wanted to do by the time you were 14. You'd mapped out your education and your internships and your career track, and you are the people who love New Year's resolutions, right? It's a chance to like re-up the goals and the plan and the vision. And then there's the rest of us, all right? So I was a philosophy major in college. Many of you know this about me, but that should tell you everything you need to know about which of these camps I am in. Uh, I'm, uh, okay, so you guys have maybe heard this before or not. I don't know if I've told you this one, um, but you guys all know what a philosophy major says to a biology major after they graduate. Would you like fries with that? Okay. <laughs> so senior year, capstone class, there's 20 of us graduating philosophy you know, major sitting in a room studying Descartes or something totally useless. And one day the professor asked, hey, so what are you guys doing after you graduate? It's coming up in a couple of months. And we start going around sharing what everybody's doing. And it turns out every single other person in that room had majored in philosophy and something that was actually useful for life, right? So they were all pre-law or pre-med or pre-business or something or other, finance. And I was the only one who didn't get the memo. And I, I went last and I looked at all everybody. I was like, guys, how could you not have told me? Like, I thought we were friends. I missed the memo. So I moved to Africa for a year and then just figured out what to do after that. Um, what's funny is over the, over the last couple of decades, I've actually uh, grown in my, like, planning self, you know, but um, how do you put it? There is still growth potential there for me. Okay, so what about you? Are you the planner? Uh, do you work hard to chart your road as far out in advance as you can, or do you pretty much take the journey as it comes, you know? What's around the next bend? Who knows? Who cares? We'll see when we get there. Um, whether you map out the details or just get on the road and drive, we're all on the road, okay? We're all on a journey. We're all wayfarers and pilgrims through this life. And I thought for our New Year's Day Sunday together, we would dip into the Gospel of Mark just for one week. We're going to start a new sermon series next week through the life of David. But just for today, because these middle chapters of Mark speak directly to this idea of being on a journey and a pilgrimage. Uh, and they teach us something fundamental and important about the path that we are on. All right. So our passage begins with this verse, Mark 10, 32, they were on the road that they as the disciples of Jesus going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them and they were amazed and those who followed were afraid. Okay, so before we go any further, such a simple verse, easy to skip over, just a little geographical marker dropped into the middle of Mark, but so much is baked in there, all right? It's so profound. Jesus, just like us, is on the same road as we are, just a little bit ahead of us walking the pilgrimage through life. And his people are trying to follow. They're trying to keep up. And the two words that Mark uses here to describe Jesus' followers are that they are amazed and they are afraid. Interesting choices, right? 
Like, if I were to ask you what two words describe your journey following Jesus down the road of life, which two would you pick? Mark picked amazed and afraid. Interesting. Um, And then all of the questions about the way that Jesus is walking. Where is he going? Does he have a plan? Is he the planning type or is he just taking it as it comes? Is he winging it? Where is he headed? What does it mean for us to walk with Jesus on the way of Jesus? So as I read this passage this morning, keep those two questions in mind. Where is Jesus going and what does it mean for us to go with him there, okay, to be on the same road? So Mark 10, 32 through 45. Here we go. They're on the road going to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them. They were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, which is his most common way of referring to himself, will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. They'll mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise." And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left hand in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. You're able, or are you able to drink the cup that I drink? or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. And they said to him, oh, yeah, we're able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink, and the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the 10 heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. All right, this is the word of the Lord. So where's Jesus going? He's on the road. He's going somewhere. Where's he heading? What's the way of Jesus? In this exchange, Jesus tells us exactly where his road leads. We're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man there will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. They'll condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. They'll mock him, spit on him, flog him, kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Jesus has actually told his disciples this exact thing already two times, but it like it doesn't get in their head, you know? It's like they're so thick. So he keeps telling them over and over in this section in Mark. And when he says he'll be condemned to death, this is like a specific legal term in the ancient Near East referring to the state-sponsored execution that he will soon endure at the hands of the Romans. We learn details about what his trial and suffering will be like, and they all come true exactly in Mark 15, just a few chapters later. But most importantly, we learn why. Okay, why Jesus has set his face towards Jerusalem and will not be deterred in his path through life. He will not move from this road. Mark 10.45 is, I don't know, one of the most important verses in your Bible, maybe. Uh, It provides a wide, clear, compelling window into the purpose of Jesus' life. 
uh, and his death. It's the very heart of Christianity. So if you've been around the church at all, you have heard this verse and you know that Jesus has died on the cross. Um, if, you ha- if you're newer to the church, like this is the heart of it, okay? If you, if you can understand this, you understand the love of God for the world. Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man, again, Jesus referring to himself, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The reason Jesus' death and resurrection stand at the very center of Christianity, the reason his death in 30 AD has anything to do with our lives in 2023, coming up this year, is because his death, he says, serves as a cosmic, global, spiritual ransom. The road that Jesus was on, his path, his journey and pilgrimage through life, his life's plan and purpose was to serve his people by being a ransom for his people. All right, a ransom, in that culture and ours today, it's an exchange, right? It's a payment to buy somebody back. In the language of the day, ransom referred to a a bail paid for a prisoner of war or for slaves to buy someone out of slavery or to release them from jail. It was purchase money to free someone from bondage to buy them their freedom. So two things to tease out of this statement from Jesus that stands at the very heart of his purpose and plan. His death is a redemption, and his death is costly, all right? His death is a redemption. It brings freedom. And and what we mean here is that Jesus intervenes on behalf of his people, all right, as their king. So when Jesus goes to the cross, he is not just sort of passively dying or being killed. He is actively fighting against the powers of darkness and evil and sin and death and Satan in the world. Um, He's acting as our hero. So he is the one who can succeed where we fail and bear what we can't bear. He's our victor. He's our king. He achieves for us the thing that we most need but can't possibly achieve on our own. He redeems us from spiritual death by dying for us in our place. He wins for us. Um, But of course, this is a ransom, so it comes at a cost. And the cost is his substitutionary death in our place. All right, notice again verse 35. Um, right after Jesus tells his disciples why he's on this road to this city at this time, James and John, the two brothers known as the Sons of Thunder, uh, it's like their nickname, okay, probably because of their blustering talk, which comes out in this, uh, in this exchange, they say to Jesus, right after he has told them that he is about to go to die as a ransom for them, the next words out of their mouth, the next words out of their mouth, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Okay, so pro tip here, pro tip. If someone tells you they're going to die for you, that is not the next thing out of your mouth, all right? I mean, this is like like deeply insensitive. It's like saying, great, okay, sorry about what's about to happen. Can we just have our our inheritance a little bit early because like, you know, we've got things to spend it on. Um, It's like their heads are made of concrete. And um, Jesus, though, in all his patience, in all his love, says, okay, friends, what is it exactly that you would like me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right, one at your left, in your glory. In other words, let your glory, let all that, you know, heroic victory, like, spill over onto us. We want to share in the light and and bask in your glory. And his response is, do, uh, first of all, you don't know what you're asking. And second, are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. And those references to drinking a cup and being baptized are Old Testament references that most often refer 
to God's judgment on the world, okay? The cup from the Old Testament is a cup of wrath. It's how God deals with evil. And he's asking these disciples who do not know, they do not understand what's going on. There's four-dimensional chess happening, and they're trying to play checkers. And, um, and he's asking them, do, can you bear the judgment of God that I'm about to bear, okay? God is so loving for his world that he will not stand by, he cannot stand by, while something threatens to destroy what he loves most of all. Jesus, he will destroy that which destroys what he loves, okay? Injustice and sin and wickedness and all kinds of evil, he will take it down, he will take it out. That's how much he loves the world, he will do that. The problem, though, here's the problem, here's the crux, is that we are the problem, right? That evil and sin and wickedness, it's not just out there somewhere in the world, it lives and breathes and has life in our own hearts. We are the problem. We perpetuate the selfishness and the hurt. So here's the great dilemma of God's relationship with us, um, is that we are at the same time the ones he loves with a ferocious love, uh, unending, complete, and eternal, and we're the ones who destroys what he loves, right? Do you see the problem? It's like the greatest catch-22 of all time. We are the ones he has promised to save and heal, and we are the ones committing the sin and the destruction he has promised to destroy. Uh, How do you solve a problem like that? How do you untie that knot? God had a plan. Jesus knew the road he was on, and the road he was on was the road to solve that problem for us. So God becomes a human being, He offers to stand in our place, to drink the cup and be overwhelmed with the baptism of the judgment we deserve. This is his life's journey, right? This is his three-year ministry plan. He knew what he was doing. This is the way of Jesus, a ransom of love to redeem sinful people back to himself. One of my favorite illustrations of this I think I've shared this with you before, is from the original Planet Earth series. Remember like the very first one that came out? I don't even know when it was, 2017 or 2016 or something like that. Um, Not the second one where there's a thousand snakes chasing that lizard that makes your palms sweat, but the first one, okay? Not that one that we're never going to watch again, but the first one. Um, They somehow got this footage of a colony of ants that lives deep in the Amazon jungle. All right, and what happens is these ants, there's this fungus, this is gonna get weird and gross, but it's awesome, okay? So there's this fungus that attacks the ants, and, what, and it's called uh, cordyceps. Um, and these spores from the fungus land on an ant and they bore inside the ant's body. But instead of killing the ant right away, they sort of like lay dormant for a minute and they let the fungus grow and it, it almost like takes over the ant's brain and it makes it climb high up into a tree and then it paralyzes it, and then the fungus starts to grow. And it's like this mushroom spore comes right out of the top of the ant's head, all right? It's real gross and very fascinating. And then the wind blows the spore, and then a million more spores rain down on the rest of the ant colony, okay? So it's like this ingenious fungus that turns an ant into a zombie, climbs a tree, grows, and then spreads to the rest of the ant colony, all right? This is totally gross. But you, but you can't take your eyes off it while you're watching it either. Um, it's like zombie ants. Okay, so interesting. Um, pretty complex and devious by the fungus, but here's the catch. Here's the thing. Uh, when the ants realize what's going on, that there is a threat, that this fungus is invading their colony, they will actually send a healthy, 
uninfected ants up into the tree before the spore can grow, before it can spread its reign of death and disease over the rest of the ant colony. And that healthy ant will take upon its back the infected ant and carry it away um, so that the rest of the ant colony doesn't get infected and doesn't die. Okay, so they send a representative ant from the colony, healthy, clean, uninfected, seriously, Jesus like built this into his creation. He built this into nature just for us to like contemplate what a substitutionary death is like. And this ant carries it away and that reign of death and disease that loomed over the colony is taken away, it's removed. But it requires the substitutionary death of one from them to heal them, all right? Jesus has built the great exchange of the gospel right into his creation. Jesus removes our infection and our sin, the reign of death that we live under. He, he takes it upon himself in our place. And as he dies on the cross, he ransoms our life from the natural consequences of this infection of sin that we all carry in our hearts through the sacrifice of his own life. He pays the price for our sin. This is Jesus's road, okay? This is his path. Uh, it's the one big purpose of his life. It's the very reason he left he- heaven to live among us. His own redemptive substitutionary death was his intention from before the beginning of the world. In the mystery of his sovereign plan, God's plan A was to lovingly give of himself so that he could bring his children back into his love. And this is where he was always headed. And so before moving on to our second question for the morning, which is, if that's the way of Jesus... What does it mean for us to follow the way of Jesus? Before we get there real quick, just consider how different Jesus' way is, how, how countercultural and upside down and backwards it is from the rest of everything else we know about power and authority in our world. I mean, Jesus uses his authority, the Prince of Heaven, his position as king over all things, his wealth and power. He uses it not to get more for himself, or to serve his inner circle, but to pour out generously for those who are his enemies, who are against him, who are his his rebels, right? Have you ever heard of anything even remotely close to that kind of love and and that kind of use of power? In Jesus' kingdom, in his economy, power is displayed in service. Jesus reigns by ransoming his life for others, his most glorious moments, was a shameful death on behalf of you and me. So when we come to our second question for the morning, what does it look like to follow Jesus on this road? How do we walk the way of Jesus? And the question almost answers itself, but Jesus answers for us. Verse 42. Jesus called them to him, again, the disciples, and that word is actually more like summoned. He's like, get over here. We got to talk, all right? Um... It's his way of highlighting and underlining and bolding what's about to come next. And he said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. There is a way the world uses its power There's a way that we naturally use our own positions of authority and influence and privilege and whatever resources we've been given. There's a default mode of the human heart. And he says the default mode is that we lord it 
over others. In other words, we use our influence um, for our own comfort, for our own families, for our own future, for our own dreams, our own ambitions. Like little lords, we invest our little resources in our own little kingdoms. Uh, and this is the default mode. But there's a different kind of leadership, a different kind of way in Jesus' kingdom, in his world, on the path that he is leading his followers. This is the way of Jesus. In the kingdom of Jesus, the powerful are the first to serve, not the first to be served. In the kingdom of Jesus, the leaders are those who pay the highest cost, not the lowest cost. Those with access use it to get others in first and step to the end of the line. In the kingdom of Jesus, those with wealth pour it into people and causes that don't directly benefit themselves, but are a great gift to others. Henry Nouwen was a Catholic priest and author, and he called this uh, the downward mobility of the kingdom. All right, let me, let me quote from him real quick. The society in which we live suggests in countless ways that the way to go is up. Making it to the top, entering the limelight, breaking the record, that's what draws attention. Gets us on the front page of the newspaper and offers us the rewards of money and fame. The way of Jesus is radically different. It's the way not of upward mobility, but of downward mobility. It's the way to the bottom. It's staying behind the sets and choosing the last place. Why, why is the way of Jesus worth choosing, he asks? Because it's the way to the kingdom. It's the way Jesus took and it's the way that brings everlasting life. Now, Nowen has the street cred to say that because he turned down tenured university positions at Harvard and uh, Notre Dame so that at the end of his career, he could go to work with handicapped children at a ministry called Large in Canada. And so he took the path of downward mobility himself. So on this New Year's Day, as we plan or don't plan your next year, whatever, you know, whichever camp you're in, uh, as we anticipate and hope and pray for what it might hold, as we look forward, let's ask this question together. What might the way of Jesus look like in your life this year? When you look ahead, what might the way of Jesus look like for our church, for our families? Uh, how might the downward mobility and calling of Jesus' kingdom play out in the coming months? Um, as we consider the path of Jesus, following him on the road. He's just a little farther ahead of us. We're right behind him. We're following him with amazement and fear. I don't know what your words are. Anticipation, joy, hope, longing, uncertainty. But we're following him. What does it look like to follow him in this way, on this path? How do you move down for the sake of the kingdom? Um, I'm tempted here to just list out a bunch of random examples and see which ones you connect with, but I'm not going to just because, I don't know, it's random. And you probably know better than anyone else in this room what Jesus might be calling you to this year. But there's a million ways to do this, okay? Every day, all around us, greatness, Jesus says, comes from making others great. Going up in his kingdom is living below everyone else all around us. This is the way of Jesus. And the only way that we will find the strength and the courage to go this way and to stick to this road is to trust that Jesus not only commends it, and he not only commands it of us, but he actually has done it. And he actually provides the way for us to do it too. Jesus was our ransom long before he asked us to pour out our lives for others. We can go out into the world 
And because of that, we can take risks we would otherwise not be willing to take, right? Because Jesus offered us the freedom of being perfectly safe in his love and his grace, we can bear costs we would otherwise not be willing to bear. Only because Jesus bore our sin can we enter into other people's pain or trouble or or places that we would otherwise not dare to go. This whole way of life, it's only possible because of the riches and the safety and the love that is already ours in Jesus. And this is what it looks like to journey with him, take his road to follow him, not to have to repeat what he already did for us, that's done, it's whole, it's finished, but to receive the gift, live as if it's actually true, and then extend it to as many, as many people as we possibly can in this short life that we've been given. So here's to 2023, following the way of Jesus as a church family together. All right, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for um, walking the road ahead of us and for walking the road that we could never walk on our own. Um, Thank you for bearing that cup and that baptism of judgment to, to bring us back into your family, to reconnect us to your love and your life and a life of flourishing. God, out of the resources of living in your family, out of enjoying that and drinking deeply from that, would you empower us to serve those around us, to live in your kingdom as your ambassadors, walking your way that you showed us how to walk. That's the calling, and we would, um, yeah, just ask you for the strength and the vision and the companionship, the encouragement to do that together as we look ahead to this year. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.